Hi, Robert McGinnis. I'm the driver of the number nine Palto Network Suncoast Racing for Mazda car. And welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We are back for a stretch as Formula One is gone for a stretch. Formula One goes on vacation and we stop being on vacation. Yeah, maybe one year we'll actually get that to work, but I doubt it just because IndyCar in mid-Ohio screws it up every time. Well, yes, and then your crazy travel schedule has been screwing things up lately. Yeah. So this time you can't blame it on me. Okay. Well, first off, you noticed our, our new intro that we're going to have in place at least for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to depend on what happens with Robert. We'll talk about Robert and the other experiences that we had over at uh, Mid-Ohio for the IndyCar weekend. But first, when we talk about the IndyCar weekend, we've got to talk about the race itself, which, quite frankly, all right, I'll admit it. it, it again, for a second year in a row, wasn't super exciting, except for the fact that, Alexander Rossi won and had really a picture-perfect weekend. He really did. Um, He was doing phenomenal. He had a great weekend. He acknowledged me at least twice and barely tried to run over me. So, therefore, it's definitely a good weekend for Alex. Well, actually, the, the one who almost got run over was the boy almost got run over by Robert Wickens this year. I thought it was Jack Veach. Oh, maybe it was Jack Veach. It was Jack Veach. Yeah, it was Jack Veach. But, yes, he was Another the closest run. to getting run over. Um, and his girlfriend. Well, yeah. Jack Feach is not our sons. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to be clear, crystal clear about who was in attendance. Um, no, the uh, Alexander Rossi had an incredible weekend. Um, I think the number change on his car has definitely been an improvement for him. Yeah, you know, strategy-wise, without getting into the whole number change thing, strategy-wise, and everybody questioned it, um, he took pole with a one-lap, I mean, perfectly timed single lap in the final qualifier, blew everybody out of the water, took pole position for the race, and then he was apparently one of only two drivers who managed to do a two-stop strategy. Right. And won the race by... 30 some odd seconds his the only issue he had the whole race was at the end of the race and it was actually um a result of this radio call which you did not hear no great job you boys beautiful got room for donuts on fuel if you want this engine's coming out (laughs) if it's coming out then hell yeah So, yes, at the end of the race, Alexander Rossi tried to do donuts. We could see on the screen because they were showing the in-car as it was pretty clear that he was trying to do a donut, but there was a minor problem in that he chose a poor spot on the track to do his donuts and went off the track and high-sided the car and got stuck. (laughs) (laughs) But if you are going to get stuck at Mid-Ohio... Do it after you've won the race, hands down. And, you know, one of the things that we should point out is that, you know, in previous years, 
when we get to the end of the race, we've seen a lot of cars get stuck and break down because they ran out of fuel. Right. This is the first time in a while at Mid-Ohio that um, cars didn't run out of fuel as the checkered flag was thrown. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's part of, with the refueling that IndyCar has, which is different than Formula One, one of the things that happens is towards the end of the race, their math boffins are really working hard to see how little fuel can they put in the car so that the car is as light as humanly possible as it crosses that line. So we talked earlier in the season about some misstrategy calls that Mercedes had in Formula One. Still think, having. Still having. Think about the math that has to be done because it's not just put X amount of fuel in the car. It's then tell your driver, you can only push the go pedal like 50% down because that's how much you have fuel for. I mean, it's just, it's it's a precision game. And keep in mind, Alex is not uh, foreign to this concept of running out of fuel. He was on zero fuel when he won the Indy 500 two years ago. He crossed the line with zilch in the tank. So this is his second win of the season, but he's had a very strong season. Um, He's in second in the championship standings over at IndyCar. This win puts him 46 points away from Scott Dixon, who, I've got to say, can the media stop calling at this point Scott Dixon Mr. Mid-Ohio? I get that he's had five wins at Mid-Ohio, but his last couple of years have not been impressive at Mid-Ohio. He's no. not that great there anymore. Well, it was funny during the driver uh, introductions, he even said that. Yeah. <laughs> they said, you know, welcome to Mr. Mid-Ohio. And he goes, I don't think I am in these last few years. <laughs> and I don't think that was false humility at all. I think no. that was kind of shut up about it now. <laughs> um, But yes, as far as being Rossi fans, I have to tell you, one of where we sat to watch that race, mm-hmm. there was a preteen girl. That yes. had a poster that said Rossi with the O turned into a little heart. And she waved that that poster at the, the sidelines. He waved at her when he came back on his uh, cool down lap. I saw it happen. She was over the moon. Yeah, but it also took her about 15 laps before she figured out when to hold the sign up. Well, yeah, the she had to work that. The number she ran out there with that sign after Alex had passed... <laughs> So James Hinchcliffe got to see a lot of that sign. I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think that that was a that I think that was a psychological strategy on her part. I think she was really thinking it uh, through that she wanted to tell the other drivers how much support there was for Rossi. But yes, there was definite Rossi support there. But that girl and like her mother was wearing um a. Uh, Simon Pagano shirt. So there was there's rivalry in that in that family. They got issues. Um, I'm sure they're seeing a therapist about it. But that girl just made me smile every time I saw her run out there. It was a handmade sign. It yeah. was just as sweet as it could be. And to see him do the little wave as he passed by, because so he obviously saw it. I thought that was just first class. Yeah. Which I've always thought Alex was was completely and utterly first class. So the rest of the weekend. We we got we weren't expecting this. We we got last minute just before we headed out there. Um, we got an invitation from the Yunkos Pro Mazda team, and specifically um, the family of the, their number nine driver Robert McGinnis, to spend 
a good part of the weekend with the team and with them watching everything that was going on. I've described this to my friends as I've told them what happened is we got a complete, not just a backstage pass, but like a family pass. <laughs> so we got to to meet the team and the family and be part of the excitement, but also getting to walk around and talk to how tight-knit that entire community is. Yeah. We'd walk over to Andy Lights teams and IndyCar teams, and you'd see a mechanic, uh, an engineer walk over to uh, Robert McGinnis's dad, Gary, who was our host for the weekend, and go, so how's our boy? And you kind of started to start feeling like, he's our boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sure Robert's cringing at that right now because I'm as a as a nice 18 year old, he's probably not going. I want to be the boy any longer. Um, but he is a very delightful young man. Um, we had a great time. It was an incredible experience, and nothing changes the way you approach and experience a race like sitting with people that have and being part of the people that have a personal connection to a specific driver and a specific team. So huge thanks to um, the, the McGinnis family and the Yunkos racing team for allowing us that, that pass. I, everybody we came in contact with was phenomenal. Everybody on the team and from his fellow drivers, um, the, the VK family in particular, a very great bunch of folks. So Renus VK is currently leading uh, the Pro Mazda series. Um, Renus had, he's, he's on his fourth win. In a row. In a row. Um, three of which were at Mid-Ohio and one in Toronto. I thought two were at Mid-Ohio. I think they only had two races at Mid-Ohio. You may be right. I think it's two at Toronto, two at Mid Ohio, but he's he's definitely a rising rising star going on right now, and he's he's doing great. Yeah, um, from from their friendliness to um, Robert's whole team, and oh yeah, the the um, great conversations that we had around racing and how they prep the car and work the car. Um, how the car went through scrutineering, you know, obviously we, we know quite a bit about the Formula One world, but when it comes to the IndyCar world, and in particular the Pro Mazda world, and, and learning about the differences between how the cars are prepped, how they're, they're managed and scrutineered was really neat, um, we got a really great explanation of the data that they collect on the drivers and how they look at the data points on the graphs and what they mean. Oh, seriously. I mean, you want to talk about having a truly awesome geek out moment. <laughs> I mean, every part of the big data side of me and the analytics of data was just over the moon looking at these graphs and figuring out what they mean and what what it says and then what they do with that data and how they apply it to the next race we should back up one second mm -hmm. um so we may not have explained but the indycar series has a ladder effect just like formula well, was, one does that, so. um pro mazda which is the team that we were the, the race level that we were hanging out with is the second rung up of the four-rung ladder. Mm 
Right. Um, so there's USF 2000 where Robert raced last year. Then they move up to Pro Mazda. Then they move up to Indy Lights. And then ultimately. The second year actually in Pro Mazda. He this, changed teams. Oh, he changed teams. Over Yunkos. They yeah. had some technical issues at the other team <laughs> yes. the previous year. Um, and uh, so he moved up. He moved to a different team in Pro Mazda, but he had moved up from USF three years ago. That's that's correct. Correct. Um, and then Indy Lights would be the next rung in the ladder. And ultimately, um, for the the fewest, the best, the brightest, awesome, the most awesome, they make it up to IndyCar um, and play in the majors. So that's the process. The coolest thing is, and this is the thing I didn't fully understand um, until Gary really explained it. As these kids, and there's no other way to explain it, these are these are kids. Um, as these kids are growing up in the sport, every generation of car that they keep driving has like an extra nuance to mm-hmm. it. So there's the first year that they're driving a car with a wing on the back of it. And then after that, they get a more powerful, you'll get more powerful engines, but they'll have some different piece. And so like the Pro Mazda teams, they don't do pit stop steering the race. They're not, you know, there's no part of well, that. that. They're that's, setting up that's and going. All of the um, Mazda Road to Indy, and, and I have to say the full name, Mazda mm. Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires, all of those development levels, none of them have pit stops. Right. So it's all about pre-setting up the car. And then the engineer was just awesome to talk about. We set everything up, but the minute the green flag goes, it's all on Robert to to deliver mm-hmm. what they have set up. And they, they don't do a whole lot of extensive calls during the race other than some basic information um, so that they can sit down and really focus. But every generation, they have like a little nuance extra that gets them closer to what they're going to be doing in the big leagues. I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's actually comes across as being fairly well thought out. They don't start with like, oh, you're in USF 2000 and you're going to be changing tires and you're going to be doing this and you're going to mm-hmm. be doing that. But they get, they get sort of a, a learning curve. These are intended to be true development series. Mm-hmm. Um, so other things that we were fascinated by, one-handed lifting of tires. <laughs> you were fascinated by Well, it. I kept trying to get our son to, to keep trying that because him and his <laughs> spaghetti arms are not going to lift up tires one-handed. But that was, that was really cool to watch. Um, you were mentioning the scrutineering. I, after the race, they pick parts of the car that have to get turned in for tech review. Quote, unquote, randomly. Yeah, and it's quote-unquote randomly, but it is very cool to see what do they call up and what parts do they have to take off the cars to go turn them in. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's an interesting process. Um, they only have, at the this level, they only have one mechanic and one engineer per driver. Yes. It's not like there's a huge, massive team around everybody. Um, so it's a real tight-knit group. So... Unfortunately, we got news after the weekend ended that Mazda has announced that as of the end of this season, the 2018 season, they are withdrawing from the program. Now, we don't fully know what this is going to mean outside of the fact that it's no longer going to be called the Mazda Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires. It'll be known as the Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires. We know the title sponsorship is going away, but all of these cars are powered by Mazda engines. Mm-hmm. 
And the series has really had a big impact on IndyCar. So it was launched in 2011. Um, and it, recent Indy Lights champions who are currently IndyCar drivers include Spencer Piggott, Ed Jones, and Kyle Kaiser. Um, they came out of this. They, they won Pro Mazda, got part-time seats in IndyCar, which then later resulted into um, full, full-time seats with the exception of, I think, Kyle Kaiser right now. But I think he's still trying to earn that seat. Um, 27 of the 35 drivers who attempted to qualify for the Indianapolis 500 were graduates of the Indy Lights program. Indy Lights being one step down before below the full IndyCar level. One of the concerns, though, that came up this year is that at Mid-Ohio in particular, competing at the Indy Lights level were all of seven drivers. Well, one of the nuances that's unique to uh, the IndyCar ladder is the ability to pick and choose what races people go to. Mm -hmm. And these teams are not... Um, they're funded and they're they do okay, but these are not multi million dollar organizations. Oh, not at all. So they're looking at what the possible gain could be compared to what they could what it costs to enter those particular races. They're playing those games. Um, how much it costs to spend a weekend in mid Ohio. I mean, all of those things matter. I think indie lights really suffered from the number of people that showed up. It was a small field. Um, at the Pro Mazda level, it was a much bigger field. I want to say there was 20 cars. Well, you know, it, it should be somewhat of a funnel to begin with. Mm -hmm. USF 2000 should be a, a pretty large field. That's the first level. And, and it was, with it slowly narrowing as you move up. But seven cars is <laughs> yeah. That was that's a, a bit much. that's a little tight on the narrow. Yeah. Um. But I can understand that the money situation that happens is very interesting. Apparently, this is the only series that there is enough money that's in prize money if you win that level to really get you to the next level. Mm -hmm. Um. Apparently, and I was unaware because I don't follow the money and. In the Formula series, if you win a lower level of Formula uh, in the Formula ladder, you are not going to make enough to get you a seat just on prize money yeah. to get you a seat in the next series up. You have to come in with significant funding um, to get your seat. It's a it's harder, but the top prize for each level, and it's the top prize, mm -hmm. could potentially earn you or get you. Dang close to the seat in the next series. Well, the the other thing is, if you win the series, if you went with, with in the Pro Mazda series, there's a scholarship to mm -hmm. elite, to get you up into the next level. That's part of what Mazda has been providing. Now we've confirmed that Mazda will ensure that the uh, champions of Indy Lights, Pro Mazda, and USF 2000 will receive their scholarships into the next category for next year. Uh, also, they hold the Mazda Indy Road or Mazda Road to Indy Global Shootout in December. That will continue to happen this year. What will happen in 19? We do not know yet. Mm. It's a very interesting thing. I mean, 
I get sponsorship dollars change and, and priorities change, but it'll be interesting to see how it changes the feeder series. So before we move on, we do have to thank some folks for the opportunity yes. that we had. Um, obviously, Robert and Gary and, and, and the rest of the McGinnis family and all of Robert's race team, the Yunkos race team, Palo Alto Networks, and the Herjavec group all – we, we've got to extend some huge thanks for giving us the opportunity to, to come and hang out with the team. And we are extremely hopeful that we will get to see Robert next year in Indy Lights. That's what we're hoping for. Well, I hear scuttlebutt that he is being courted in the Indy Lights teams. I don't know, obviously, any details. I'm not that privy to the information. <laughs> but I've been told that there are teams sniffing around our boy Robert. So... um <laughs> We, we do appreciate it, and we do thank him for our lovely bumper um, that we'll get to use throughout the rest of the season. So maybe there'll be a little spot in our show that you'll just have to humor us about, about where he is in the series. Oh, we're certainly going to follow him the rest of the season, at we the very should, least. We should mention that Robert did um, receive the Bloke and the Bird bump this weekend. Yes. <laughs> with two podiums, one being the highest podium he has ever gotten in the Pro Mazda series at second place. Yeah. So that what we firmly believe is the bloke in the bird bump. Certainly that that's what it is. So it's been a while since we have had because you know we've been we haven't recorded forth, so we have no idea. <laughs> we haven't talked about the fantasy GP results. So Formula One is headed off to their break, but we still have the results from last week. Here's the standings as we start F1 Summer Break. In the last race, Michael's Mach 5 Racing won the week with 158 points, followed by Phil's Team Rocket in second with 141 points. Richard's Fly Fast team was third with 133 points, and Patricia's The Bird team was fourth with 128 points, with the boy right behind with 127 points. Agro's Puppet Racing struggled this week and finished in sixth with 124 points. The standings have been unchanged overall for the last few races, but some of the gaps are narrowing again, with Patricia's The Bird team holding on to first with 1,521 points and Michael in second with 1,507 points. Phil's Team Rocket is in third with 1,466 points, Agro's Puppet Racing is in fourth with 1,441 points, and the battle for fifth is still tight with the boy on 1,256 points and Richard's Fly Fast team at 1,241 points. We've got a few weeks until the action starts again with the Belgian Grand Prix, but join in on the last half of the season by going to FantasyGP.com and entering a league code 148-31491. I do love to hear me in first. I can't, I can't lie. I can't. Given how fast that, uh, that gap is narrowing, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to hold on to these magical moments, but uh, it does feel good. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what the teams come back with off the break. Now, I did see a, a rumble that Mercedes is holding off on their next update until they get a better understanding of just what is going on with this Ferrari car. Mm. They're a I, little concerned. I, I foresee some letters in the future. I, You know, I don't know about that, um, but – they clearly in Hungary were not the fastest car. 
and that has them concerned. Yes. But they still won. They did. Now, the other thing that we have to see around Ferrari is when is their mid to late season meltdown actually going to happen? Because I don't think it's happened yet, but you know it's coming. <laughs> they are phenomenal for that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we actually dig into Hungary and what, what's happened, um, in our last show we talked about how Formula One had released the tender for the next contract for tires. Um, and that this would, again, be a sole source contract with no tire war coming, despite all the, the begging from people to do this. Um, but Michelin has weighed in on it. And Michelin has always been considered the other possible contender for this contract. Ah. Um, they're not particularly thrilled about it. What are their complaints? They've got two big ones. Um, the first is that um, the first year of this contract, as we mentioned, will be on the 13-inch wheels, which Michelin makes no secret that they do not like and they do not want. And they think Formula One needs to go to the larger wheels. But they're not really thrilled with this. And, and I'm guessing that Pirelli's not real happy with it either, that the first year of this contract is on the 13-inch wheels. Then they have to design all new tires for the 18-inch wheels that are coming in 2021. <sighs> They're not a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that they don't particularly like is we're still dealing with some level of the high degradation tires. Um, one of the terms stipulated in the contract is that they really want to push the teams to having two-stop races. Well, Michelin's thought is, you know, you want us to build a tire that wears out after a few laps. That's really not in line with our brand marketing concept here. <laughs> it's what we have been questioning why Pirelli is so willing to do this. Yeah. So even though Michelin has concerns over the tire tender, um, they say that they are evaluating the proposal. They're continuing to look it over. And they're actually going to wait until the last minute to decide if they're going to even apply for the tender. So... The tire suppliers have until August 31st to uh, submit their bids, and then a decision on technical and safety compliance will be made by September 14th. Okay. And Charlie Whiting says that, he, yeah, he, he understands that this whole thing with the 13-inch wheels really isn't ideal, but because of the timing of the rules change, they didn't. he says that there was no way to avoid it. I'm not sure I believe that. I think it would have made better sense to just go to Pirelli and say, hey, we want to go and extend the deal for a year and then open up a tender for 2021. I think that would have made great sense. I don't know why they couldn't just extend the contract with Pirelli until the rules change, but there's obviously some piece of that that they're, they're dealing with. Yeah. So more to come on my favorite subject, tires. So the, the Formula One world was rocked actually a couple of times last this past week, um, starting off the week with news of Sergio Marchionne's death, um, this coming hot on the heels of the announcement that Fiat Chrysler was rolling out transition plans because of 
complications to a shoulder surgery that Sergio Marchionne had had. Um, after the announcement occurred, Fiat Chrysler's stock dropped 12% in both Italy and on the New York Stock Exchange. But what caused even more concern, and this was something that we didn't, not only were we caught, and, and when I say we, I mean the greater media world in general, um, caught off guard by the death of Sergio Marchionne and the fact that he was sick in the first place, so was Fiat Chrysler. Oh. Um, University Hospital Zurich issued a statement saying that Marchionne um, had been treated for more than a year for a serious illness that it didn't define. Um, Marchionne's family admitted to Reuters that the companies hadn't been aware of his health condition. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what looked to the world to be very, very sudden and out of the blue, probably less so, but nobody was shared. Nobody had that shared with them. Right. Um, apparently, Sergio told no one outside of his inner circle, reportedly including uh, Fiat chairman John Elkin, that he was seriously ill. Um, his partner, partner, Manuela Batizada, who works in Fiat's press department, told Bloomberg that Marchionne's family didn't tell the company about his health condition at all, um, but that um, Sergio had quit smoking about a year ago and stopped responding to messages and calls from some advisors since the end of June. Wow. Yeah. So there's an investigation that's been launched um, by shareholders at Fiat Chrysler and reportedly by the Italian government over how this was handled. Mm. Yeah. Whoa. Well, in the meantime, we do offer our condolences to the entire Marchioni family. Oh, absolutely. Um, he, I mean, there's been plenty of tributes over the last week Um regarding Sergio and, and his life and, and his accomplishments. Um, yeah, clearly he has had a big role in not just Fiat Chrysler and Ferrari, but the automotive industry for quite a few years. Um, so it, that's a big hole that's being left behind there. Yes. There's some question, by the way, because when uh, Stefano Domenicali left Ferrari, Sergio Marchionne... Um, took basically took over control not just of Ferrari but of the Formula One team and questions regarding drivers and over Formula One further muddying the driver picture which we're going to get to in a bit but one of the th the things that's now been thrown up in the air is whether or not Charles Leclerc's promotion to Ferrari will happen oh as a result of all of this correct ah oh, poor kid Poor kid. To get caught up in all of this, is that's got to be rough. Yeah. So we don't know what's happening with that. Um, and we've got some other silly season stuff coming. But first, got to talk about Hungary and the race that happened there, where much like Alexander Rossi at Mid-Ohio, Lewis Hamilton had a hell of a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. Um, talk about perfect timing there, where every – from every angle, it looked like the Ferraris were going to have the better weekend, and then it rains in qualifying, 
and the, and the master of the back, rain. And well, but but Lewis is utterly the master of the rain. Yeah. Um, it it was an interesting argument. Um, listening to Five Lives coverage, but there was an argue, a literal argument about there were a lot of them. Whether or not we could say Lewis was lucky that there was rain or that um, he was just that good. And the comment that just stuck with me that I loved was, if if there's rain and Lewis is on pole, then it's not luck. We expect it. But if it's rain and Lewis is not on pole, then he's unlucky. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was just, it was like... The minute the rain came and nobody really understands how these cars are going to perform in the rain. It's not something that they can test for in the wind tunnel. They don't throw rain in the wind tunnel. I don't know if you knew this, but it's not wet in there. Well, it's not just a wind tunnel thing. At at that point, you're trying to understand, I mean, completely different in traction, Mm -hmm. ride height, everything is impacted there. Everything becomes impacted with with the rain changes. They, you know, what happens to the tires? They can only do so much simulation work because it's guesses. You know, you're you're programming for guesses. Um, Only so much simulation work. And truth is the driver that figures out transition points and how to keep that car in the right spot on the track and where that right spot is the fastest is going to be the fastest on the track and lewis and his instinctual driving habit just rocks that and so well-timed rain to put him on pole beautifully a a lovely one-two pole i mean it was their weekend well except from valtteri bodice's perspective because this was another weekend where i think mercedes strategy calls hurt drivers it didn't hurt lewis this time it hurt valtteri and to some extent they had to do what they had what they did i mean they had to bring valtteri in as early as they did because they needed to cover what kimmy was doing but the other side of that was they were asking him to go a bridge too far in these tires, and he paid for it, and he paid for it in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he held off Vettel for as long as he could, and that gave Lewis the window that he needed. Um, Seb was incredibly lucky that he managed to pull off his pass on Valtteri without the puncture, because mm-hmm. if there was a puncture, that would have been game over. That right. would have completely changed the perspective of everything and everybody would have been saying that's the turning point right there for the whole season and Seb would have gotten hammered for it because he was trying too hard and everything else that they criticized him for after Singapore but he got away with that Um, but it damaged Valtteri's wing and things just went downhill from there Um, he ended up getting a penalty for the impact with uh, Daniel, Daniel felt that he had left Valtteri plenty of room the marshals felt that daniel had left valtteri plenty of room and um, as a result he ended up with a penalty that really didn't affect his position because he was far enough ahead that that wasn't the issue um however total wolf upset valtteri a bit oh so at the end of the race um toto spoke to to sky sports and said that he admired um the role that he felt that Valtteri had played. 
He said, it feels a bit bittersweet. I don't know why, because Valtteri would have deserved a podium because he was such a sensational wingman. Valtteri didn't like being called a wingman. I bet he did not. That bothered him quite a bit. Um, Valtteri's response was, first of all, wingman hurts. Second of all, I don't see any positives in this race for me. I wanted a better result. We thought in theory we should have been able to do that one stop, but we had to stop earlier than we wanted because of Kimi Raikkonen. We had to cover him, and still 20 laps before the end, everything was feeling okay. We could control the pace in my position, but then the rear tire started to die. I tried to defend as the best I could, as aggressive as I could, but it ended up being a bit of, the, bit of a mess in the end with the f- broken front wing and everything. As for the wingman issue, he went on to say, I think we need to speak after this race. We are over halfway through this year, and the points gap is big, but for sure the team will decide at some point. Yeah. So there was a conversation later on. And at that point, Toto clarified his remarks or tried to clarify his remarks. He said, that's exactly why things are not being discussed directly. He said, actually, let me restart that. That's exactly why things that are not being discussed directly face to face are being completely spun out of control in the wrong way. In today's race, starting P2 after lap one, Valtteri's race was the perfect wingman race, and I don't mean it in championship terms, because we have no number one, we have no number two, but it was just how he was racing. It was, from my standpoint, his best race so far with Mercedes in the last two years. He said he was surprised that Valtteri managed to keep the Ferraris at bay for so long. I don't know how much length the tire was on, but I guess it was around 50 to 54 laps. The tire was completely shot. We were surprised he managed to hold Sebastian and Kimi behind for 25 or so laps, and we knew the last five laps would be really critical. The bittersweet feeling I have is that he would have deserved to finish P2 where he had started and where he was after lap one. But are you saying maybe the word wingman doesn't do him justice? He just drove a sensational race and helped Lewis in a way to build the lead. So Valtteri came back and said, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And we're all good now and everybody's happy. And yeah. Well, I understand that Valtteri's official, you know, first reaction is wingman sounds like I'm a number two driver. And that's not what I think reality is. But I think Valtteri, and I honestly think he should be very proud of this. Valtteri is an amazing team player. Yeah. And while there's an argument to be made that the bigger team player you are, the less you're out for yourself. Just ask Nico Rosberg what that means when it comes to championships. Right. And... You know, I get all of that. You, you, you ask Mark Webber. You ask all of these people that are a traditionally good team. And DC is one. David Cothard, mm-hmm. another one. All of these very, very good drivers that take a "we are a team" approach, and that's a valid and noble approach to racing. They are racing as a team. There are team values here. Now, one could be one could to be said that is Lewis less of a team player and I think that when it was the Rosberg years he was less of a team player yeah I think that 
the um the pass that he gave back to to Nick uh to Valtteri, Valtteri a couple of years ago. No, it was last year. last year in Hungary. In Hungary. That was incredibly notable as being I am really a team player. And I think that Valtteri has to we have to hold on to those moments. Lewis is a phenomenal driver. To keep up and compete with Lewis is an amazing accomplishment. The truth is there's not very many drivers that can sit on a team with Lewis and challenge him at every corner, at every turn, to truly keep it as a side-by-side comparison. There are just not many of them out there. But I think being part of a team and having Lewis show that he respects you as part of the team is an amazing piece. And you you should hear wingman to mean team player. And that's part of the game here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get Valtteri's initial concern, but I do think it was a little bit of an overreaction. I think a lot of it was also due to the fact that he was, stru- he was frustrated over how that race ended up winding down. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the case. Speaking of frustration. Yes. Let's look at Red Bull. Okay. <laughs> so... Max Verstappen on lap six, where it looked like he was going to pick up some results and and have, especially given the season that he has had, really have a strong race, has an MGUK failure, at which point Max lets off on a bit of a rant. And I don't have it here. We will probably have it towards the end of the season. Most of that rant was beeped out i was gonna say it was a very vettel like ramp yeah um but in in a nutshell um max's feeling was he was mad he was frustrated let's just run this engine until it truly blows up because who cares at this point yeah um i think the direct quote of his rant was bleep bleep bleepity bleep 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 i don't care if this engine blows up they didn't bleep that out Ah, bleep yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there we have we have the official transcript of his his rant he had himself a little two-year-old temper fit in the car now later on in the day he was asked about his rant and his position was you know i wish they didn't bleep everything out because this is ridiculous now the next day he was a little more conciliatory and said that you know maybe i shouldn't have used the words that I've used, but this is really ridiculous. We're getting tired of it. Now, those of you who got to see the Sky coverage, including in America for once, got to hear Christian Horner's comments from the pit wall after this had happened. Surely he was very understanding and complimentary of the Renault product that is run in his engine, in his cars. Well, what he said... Was none of in, in a nod to in a nod to Renault, was we pay millions of pounds for these engines for a first class product, a state of the art product, and you can see it is quite clearly some way below that. Um, after going on and talking about some other stuff, he added that he would let Cyril, as in Cyril a bit bull, he would let Cyril come up with his excuses afterwards. Ouch. Yeah. So, pray tell. 
What were Sarah Lebetpol's excuses with giant air quotes around the word excuses? Well, Cyril's response. Our bosses have stopped reading what Christian Horner is saying about us since 2015. It's very clear that we don't want to have any dealings with them anymore. It's very clear. It's done. They will have their engine partner that will be paying a hell of a lot of money to get their product on board. And I wish them good luck. I have nothing else to say. I don't think they're into you anymore. <laughs> it's it's not it's not us, it's you. <laughs> Something along those lines, yeah. I think that this is not an amicable divorce. We don't have to talk nice about you anymore, so we're just not going to talk about you anymore. Actually, really and truly, his comments came across as being a lot more um, grown-up than Christian's. Because it's yeah. the, I have nothing nice to say, so I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Christian is like, these are awful, and they're not doing anything for us, and we're leaving. Taking my toys and going home. So, the other, and, and we now have to jump back bef because of just the crazy news that has occurred over this week. We have to now jump back to just before race weekend and talk about the Force India situation. Okay. So Force India entered administration on Friday after a hearing at the High Court in London. Um, the initial word about this, and as we have heard more about this, this really becomes a serious drama that's going on here. So the initial word that we had heard is that the whole reason that the, this hearing had happened is because Sergio Perez took the team to court because he wasn't getting paid and his sponsors were not getting the payment that they were supposed to get. Right. Um, what we have found out a bit more about this is that Mercedes is part of this deal because the team is owed money for gearboxes, but also that the team outside of VJ Malia the team was fully in support of this move. So this is less about going into administration and more about out-and-out -out mutiny. Yes, this this was a mutiny over Vijay Malia. Oh, yeah. So the, the, the team, Bob Fernley has come out and said there's no animosity towards Sergio Perez, whatever happens. Checo's entitled to get paid. We're all good with this. But this is all in response to actions from VJ Malia and VJ Malia's position. So what we know of how things have gone down is that, um, for for starters, with Sergio's piece, is that he has a deal that essentially brings substantial sponsorship from Mexico to the team um, while he is in turn paid a salary. It was a delay in those payments that amounted to several million pounds that eventually triggered his action, which was conducted with the support of other creditors, including Mercedes. He took the action through his management company, Brockstone, in conjunction with manager Julian Jacoby. Um, VJ Malia apparently knew what was going on. He got a phone call explaining to him that... Um, I've got, I've got a whole bunch of stories on this, um, that the loan that he was expecting to get from Lawrence Stroll, Lance's father, was not going to happen. 
the reason why Lance pulled back on the loan is because he was advised that by loaning money to VJ Malia, even if though it was being done to support the team, could run afoul of the sanctions that are in place by the Indian government on VJ and his finances. Right. And that could pull Lawrence into that whole issue. Lawrence doesn't want any part of that. Right. Um, the other loan that fell apart was coming from Rich Energy. So Rich Energy was the energy drink company that was rumored to have put forward a tender to purchase the team back in the fall. That it was denied that there was a serious offer there. One of the things that we learned this week, because we don't know a whole lot in the States about Rich Energy, um, Rich Energy is really not a big concern. Mm -hmm. They don't have broad distribution deals. Their drink is not out in a, is not for sale in a lot of places. Right. So this is not another version of Red Bull. This is somebody who wants to be a Red Bull, but they're not there yet. Okay. Um, but there's in in response to all that, there have been offers made for the team. VJ Malia has turned them all down. Well, the team is getting frustrated with it. Right. So VJ is one of the controlling shareholders, but by throwing the team into administration, they take some of that control away from VJ, enough to make a deal probably happen. So what we know from VJ and v VJ's position is that at the British Grand Prix, VJ said to Autosport, whether it's a sporting business, a service business, or any other business, there's value. If somebody comes up and offers you a damn good price and a very good value, you must learn to get rid of the emotion, put on a commercial hat, and look at it seriously, because such an opportunity may not come again. I had no, pro no such proposition in front of me. I want to see cash on the table. Until I see cash on the table, I don't believe anything. In 10 years in F1, there have been too many people coming and wanting to buy the team. Everyone who walks through this paddock suddenly wants to own an F1 team. They don't realize the hard work involved. If it was like the old Spiker, quite content to run around in 21st and 22nd with no ambition to get out of Q1 and fine. But for a team like us, it's bloody hard work for everybody. Now, when he was asked further about the situation with Mercedes, VJ's response was, all I can say is Mercedes got a fat check two weeks ago. So this does not sound like somebody who's really willing to let go of the reins. No, it is not. I don't have a whole lot of comments here. I honestly believe that we're going to see the continued mutiny happen until VJ lets go of the reins. And it's whether or not he gets forced to let go based on going into administration. But it's, he's got to let go if the team is going to move forward, honestly. So what we know about the debt that the team has is that there's an estimated debt of 150 million pounds, which is split 42 and a half, 42 and a half, 15. Um, 42 and a half against VJ, 42 and a half against the Sahara group, which still has a piece of this, and 15% against the Dutch Mall family, all of which are shareholders in the holding company Orange India Holdings. 
Um, the team was variously indebted in the amount of 25 million pounds around um, Formula One prize money advances as well. Mm. Um, the approximate debt pile belongs to um, 10 million to Mercedes for power unit hardware, 5.6 million to sponsor BWT, 4.1 million pounds to a company linked to Sergio Perez, and around 2 million pounds to FormTech, which is a Bavarian composites component supplier to the motorsport industry. There are other uh, creditors, including the British Revenue Service, which also started proceedings to wind up their debt over unpaid employee contributions. Um, there's also, it's really hard to understand the debt that goes to BWT because word is that the sponsorship is in the form of a loan paid up front, reducing pro rate with each passing race. So according to statement presented to the court by D BWT's lawyer, Steve Lowry, $5.6 million is owing. However, Force India could continue to discharge the obligation to that loan if it continues to race. Ah. So there's talk also in terms of purchases. Yes, we know Rich Energy is a potential purchaser, but word is that there is a cash issue there because they're not Red Bull. Lawrence Stroll is word to be part of a group involved in this. And if Lawrence comes over, and this is where the driver market gets really weird, if Lawrence comes over with a deal for the team, the belief is Lance with will Lance. move as well. Well, that throws the driver situation in question because if Lance comes over, it is believed, that, and, and rightly so, I think, that Lawrence doesn't want Lance paired up with Esteban Ocon because clearly Esteban Ocon is going to outshine Lance. Lance is not an up-and-comer compared to Esteban Ocon. Right, but Sergio Perez will outshine Lance also. But at least Sergio Perez is an experienced driver with years there. There's, it, it, It's not nearly as bad an image for a Sergio Perez or a Felipe Massa or a veteran driver like that to, to outshine Lance. That doesn't say bad things about Lance's skill. Esteban Ocon, on the other hand, is a different story. Okay. So we'll see what happens. It looks like um, Formula One's position is saying that they will do everything that they can to support the team and to keep Force India going and to encourage new investment in the team. Although Force India has also pointed out that, you know, the, the way the Concord Agreement is written, the other teams aren't exactly helping this situation. Hmm. So here's the other weird thing that goes on with the way things are written here is if you'll recall, Force India has gotten the last couple of years, they've gotten advances in prize money. Right. In order to get advances in prize money, all the other teams have to agree to this. Well, if you go into administration, especially if you stop racing, if you resume operations according to the terms of the Concord Agreement, even if you restart with the same facilities, the same team, the same infrastructure, the same everything, according to the Concord Agreement, you're a new team. 
that would mean that the prize money is forfeit. Right. If the prize money is forfeit, it goes back into the pot for the remain to be divided up between the remaining eligible teams. So if Force India stops racing, if there needs to be a change in the terms, anything around the health and well-being of Force India as a continuing ongoing entity, the teams have to agree to it unanimously. If they don't, Force India goes away, loses the prize money. Prize money they've been advanced, which then becomes a loan. Right, which further dri- which drives them further under. But also the prize money for this year that they would be entitled to rolls into the pot to enrich the other teams. So it's definitely you're asking people to give up something for themselves to think bigger than their own team, Christian. Well, th- th- there's even more to it than that. Because Ferrari has built up a fairly strong block between Sauber and Haas as varying degrees of B teams right. for Ferrari or child teams. It is known that Toto Wolf wants to do something similar to counter the Ferrari block. Something that Renault doesn't really want them to have. Honda clearly doesn't want them to have. Williams isn't sure they want to do. <laughs> but the the obvious choice to start that block off is a weakened f- Force India. Right. If Toto Wolf is blocked, one of the ways to block Toto Wolf from doing that is to crush Force India in this situation. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the tangled web we weave. Yeah, this gets really crazy. Truly. So then the next bit of earth-shattering news in Formula One was word on Friday. Two, Just two days. Actually, no, not even two days. Just one day after Daniel Ricciardo had come out and said that he that – he believed that contract negotiations with Red Bull were extremely close and he expected to have a deal completed by Spa. And two days after Red Bull released a promotional video that is part of a series of Daniel, quote unquote, taking a road trip across the United States driving a Formula One car. It's actually pretty cool. We're going to go and share that in the next couple of days. Um, Part one was... Uh, Daniel going from San Francisco to Las Vegas. Okay. Um, in a Formula One car, supposedly. But pretty pretty cool. Two days after that video was released, Daniel announces that at the end of this season, he is leaving the Red Bull team, followed shortly thereafter by an announcement from Renault Sport F1, welcoming him to the team for 2019 to partner with Nico Hulkenberg. This one just knocked the air out of me. And the timing was insane. I mean, we've been looking for a good silly season moment, and that was one of them. (laughs) But either, and these are the things I'm going to propose, either we are about to see a Lewis-like level of premonition and timing where sticking with the Renault engine was a, is the better idea versus staying with Red Bull and that Honda engine. 
and that's what Ricardo is doing. Or we're about to see Alonzo level timing where, whoa, was that a stupid move? And I don't have a good sense as to whether or not that's going to be the right answer. I... He's going with a constructor team. Yeah. With an engine he knows. And it's getting better is the best that I can say. Renault, yes, they're not put challenging up at the front, but they have been fairly strong this year in the mid-pack. Mm-hmm. The question I have is long-term, is that where Daniel thinks is a fighting chance? Yeah. I, 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 I mean, the best that I can see is he's looking at what's coming out of Toro Rosso and what he's seeing with the Hondas, and he doesn't think that the Red Bull chassis is going to flatter that engine enough to do much. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame him for that. I don't either. Like I said, I've been thinking about this since the announcement got made, and it's literally, this is something we're only going to be able to judge next year. This is either absolute brilliance or absolute stupidity and there is no mid-ground mm-hmm. period and i'm like i don't know and and renault is kind of a left field one because i knew that mclaren had uh you know lon- lobbed an offer towards him but i don't think that that team's imploding so badly right now that i, I see that not being a good plan so it's the does does is he in the know about something that's going on at Renault that leads you there? Because remember, when Lewis signed with Mercedes, it was a it was a bad idea. They were showing promise in the mid pack, is where where they were, yeah. and then they turn around and dominate. He knew something signing that contract that predicted where that was with the rule change. Is that where Ricardo is? Are they doing something with the upcoming rule change that's going to change the face of this? It, it, it's that, or does he see that Red Bull really struggling coming soon? Yeah. So this now sends the greater driver market into a bit of a tism. So let's start with, with the Renault situation. So Carlos signs... We'll, we'll finish out the season mm-hmm. um, on loan from Red Bull to the Renault organization. The stipulation of that loan, we have learned, is that should the Daniel's seat become available at Red Bull, he would return from Renault over to Red Bull. However. This <laughs> However, is, comma. Yes. First of all, um, he has not been quite as strong against Nico Hulkenberg as I think everybody hoped he would be. He's done well, mm-hmm. but he has not been quite as strong at, at Renault. So the question is, does is Red Bull still interested in moving him over into the seat, or are they more interested in moving Pierre Gasly up? There's been some some talk that they are impressed with what Gasly has done with the Honda engine. He's got experience with the Honda engine. Whether or not that's of value to the team, we don't know. But Red Bull has clearly shown 
a willingness to promote somebody up into the team before the rest of the world thinks that they're ready for it, which would mean sending Carlos Sainz back down to Toro Rosso. Is Carlos Sainz really interested in going back down to Toro Rosso? Not quite so sure about that. Enter in McLaren, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what the heck is going on over there. So, one, we've got trying to figure out what is going on with Fernando Alonso, whether or not he stays or if he goes. If he goes, clearly that's an open possibility for Carlos Sainz to move over there. And there has been admission from both camps that there have been conversations with Carlos and McLaren. If Fernando stays, what happens with Stoffel Van Dorn? If, if Fernando leaves, the thought is Stoffel Van Dorn stays, but Stoffel has not had a great season either over there, and some of that is his fault. Mm-hmm. Do they release Stoffel Van Dorn? Do they bring up Lando Norris waiting in the wings? Or do you send Stoffel on his way and bring over Carlos? Oh, my word. Now, to further muddy that picture, just before Hungary... McLaren announced that um, Toro Rosso technical director James Key was leaving the team and joining McLaren, of which days later, Dietrich Mateschitz stepped up and said, um, no, actually, no, I think I believe it was Helmut Marco who said, uh, no, we haven't let James go. He's still under long term contract through 2020. Oh, my. Which. A is that message of to McLaren of, if you want him, this is going to cost you. Could that cost revolve around Carlos Sainz? Yeah. Think about that. Oh, my word. My head hurts when we start getting into these chess pieces and moving them around. Well, now we go to the next chess piece because let's talk about Esteban Ocon. Esteban Ocon, who won... Word is Mercedes was very keen because they've been supporting him, as have Renault, has been very keen to move Esteban into a, what they perceive to be a stronger team than Force India. Because while he has done well at Force India, they want to see the full length of what he can do. And they do not believe, obviously, that he is ready for a move into Mercedes. So they were very keen on moving Esteban Ocon into Carlos Sainz's seat at Renault. And I had heard that Renault really wanted Ocon because Ocon is French. Right. So that seemed like a oh, done deal. potential option, especially when you add into it the rumblings of a Lawrence Stroll investment in Force India and the fact that Lawrence really doesn't want Lance driving alongside Esteban Ocon. Oh, my word. So, so now, now we s- we've blocked Ocon from going to Renault because they've said Hulkenberg and Ricardo are their two drivers. Right. So Ocon doesn't have a seat at Renault to go to, nor is there a better Mercedes team, another Mercedes team. I mean, they're not going to put him down at Williams. Williams is struggling. Mm-hmm. So where else could they put him? They don't really have a spot for him, so he's going to wind up staying at Force India, provided Force India stays a team. So now let's take a look over at Williams and the drama over there. So 
Claire Williams has been very adamant that they do not want to be somebody else's B team. They are an independent team. They have been an independent team for years upon years upon years. That is the culture and DNA of Williams. Correct. Yes, they will be a customer team, but they will not be a B team for anybody else. They are against that. However, comma, Toto Wolf is negotiating a deal, and Williams is is you know obviously participating. Williams needs gearboxes in addition to engines, and Toto Wolf is in the process with negotiating for a supply contract for gearboxes to Williams, who is known to be financially strapped. Right. There have been rumblings of the potential as part of this deal being we will make our gearboxes more attractive to you financially if you let us put butts in your seats. Naturally. So could that then be a direction for Esteban Ocon to go to, especially if the stroll money goes over to Force India where there is talk that not only would Lawrence would Lance Stroll move over to Force India, but potentially Robert Kubica, who apparently Lance has a very good relationship with. Interesting. Quote, does not feel threatened by. Or parentheses, does not feel threatened by. See also. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> you know, Remember a couple of years ago when 70% of the seats were up for grabs in one year and we said, this is going to be the silly season to end all silly seasons, and it was not? Yeah. Like literally every one of those seats, just they retained their driver and moved on with their life. This has been, this has got the potential of being kind of wild. And then you look at the Ferrari situation of what's going to happen with Kimmy. There's been... We heard word that a deal was all but signed for Charles Leclerc to make the move. We have not gotten a formal announcement. That was clearly negotiated under Sergio Marchionne. We don't know what uh, was Mike Manley is the, the new CEO of uh, the Fiat Chrysler Group. We don't know what, if any, interest he wants to take in the team, whether or not he's got a desire to deal with it. We do know that Sebastian Vettel is not particularly keen for Charles Leclerc to move just yet. Could Sebastian be about to torpedo that whole thing, which would probably mean that Kimmy would stay for yet another year? Oh, my. It's so time for Kimmy to go. Or could Kimmy end up going down to Sauber for Charles to come up? But what happens with Marcus Erickson? Does he stay there? Does he go finally? There's talk that possibly Haas is had enough of Roman Grosjean because he's had a very difficult season. So maybe that seat could come open. Oh, my. Obviously, Santino Ferrucci is not coming to Formula One anytime soon. I'm kind of thinking that Mercedes is going, dodged that bullet. We got our two drivers. They're signed. It's good. They are. Now, also in question, Pietro Fittipaldi. Fittipaldi? Yes. That Fittipaldi. Yes, of, of the, that Fittipaldi's, who, by the way, was driving in IndyCar in mid-Ohio a few weeks ago. 
he they are working on a test for him for Haas. Oh wow! As a possible for that, um, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, there is all kinds of things rolling around. Um, the in-season tests at Hungary this year originally. Um, Red Bull planned on testing uh, Junior, and I think he's over in Formula 2 right now, um, their next protege, Dan Tictum, who has been described by Helmut Marco as scary but fast. They had planned on, dry, uh, on testing him. However, he was not eligible to get the needed super license to drive the car because he's currently serving out a 24-race ban. That qualifies as the scary part of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Oh, my. Any other possibilities of? I think that's all I got right now. Okay. All right. We're going to have to get post-its out and start taking, you know, moving them around. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the driver's market the next couple of weeks could be very interesting. Even more interesting since, in theory... The factories are closed for two weeks, and nobody's supposed to be even, like, sending emails. Well, emails should be all shut down for four. Okay, so it's a three-week break. Right. I, and you want to remind everybody how this works in case you're new to Formula One. It's a three-week mandatory break, but you must close the factories and stop emails and conversations and all of that for 14 days. Right. So you get seven days in these three weeks to work so that you know it's all even that has strategy around it you come out of hungry do you just park the cars and take two weeks off mm -hmm. and then get seven days before spa do you take a couple of days right after hungry to break them all down and then come back i mean it's all bits and pieces here but the teams are to turn off even email access. The mm -hmm. doors get locked to the factories. Everybody is sent home. Nothing is to happen. It is a mandatory break. Like, they're not even supposed to think about Formula One. Yeah. They have to put hats on that measure their mind waves. It's 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 very sad. And according to videos that the, the engineers come up with, so, so last year, you'll remember the video, was it um, – Red Bull or was it McLaren of them making, you know, soapbox derby racers and stuff like that <laughs> so they could do something? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the the, the uh, teams really love this break because they all are well, like. they do when they don't. Yeah. But it's, uh -huh. it's, it's not. It's like 14 days off. They have to have 14 straight days off. So the last bit of news that really rolled the paddock and, and, and rolled Formula One was word that everybody's favorite crusty old driver. <laughs> Grumpy old man. Kinda. And, and I say that with affection. Um, Nikki Lauda uh, at 69 had a lung transplant this week. Um, he's been ill for a while. He had a, serious, uh, a severe lung condition. Uh, word is that the transplant, that everything went well, and he's already showing signs of improvement. Um, given what we know of Nikki's medical history, I guess it's it's not a huge surprise that something like this was in his future. Mm -hmm. um, we are glad to see that he is doing well. Um, there can be 
well, anybody who, who would want to argue that Nikki Lauda is not really, really tough <laughs> um, doesn't know Nikki Lauda. <laughs> you don't know you you don't know what he's got. Doesn't there. know Nikki Lauda. <laughs> wow. I mean, we saw him at the track walking around last last weekend. He was at Hungary. Was he at Hungary? I think he was at Hungary. I'm okay. pretty sure I saw him in his red cap at Hungary. But he's he's you know, I could just imagine just knowing what you know about Nikki that like Thursday morning, he walked into the hospital when he got the call that says, we got a lung for you. Yeah. He walked in to the hospital. And All right, let's do this. Yep. Less zapping, more zapping. Yep. Just Come go. on, make this happen. <laughs> I got, I got dinner I got, in 20 minutes. <laughs> I got places to go, people to see. I got dinner in 20 minutes. I'm betting that he's looking forward to his 14 days off because that's all he will take for recovery. Yeah. So our last story. Heading down to uh, Formula 3, Billy Monger. Yes. So a couple of weeks ago, and we, we were on a break, so that's why we didn't, we didn't get to talk about it. Um, Billy uh, ended up on the podium, third place, at Spa Franca Champs. Congratulations. And, um, well, we all know about the shoey, Daniel yes. Ricardo and his shoey. Well, Billy can't really do a shoey. Because he he had his accident a few years ago, we lost both of them, which is why we talk so much about Billy. Because the fact that he is he is racing and having the success that he has, um, and being a double amputee is huge. Well, he didn't do a shoey. He, he did a leggy. He did a leggy <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate his third place finish at Spa Franco Champs. Billy Monger on the podium chugged champagne from one of his legs. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> what do you say to that? Way to go. <laughs> you know, it probably tastes better than, than the shoe. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, so do you want to be the person that has to clean out the inside of that leg? Um, I mean, Daniel probably just buys new shoes. But I'm assuming Billy is not getting new legs. But I honestly think that given his situation, that's actually really sweet and appropriate. It awesome. is. I mean, it's and, just... and it's it, it's really cool. Um so with that, all I really have to say to both Robert McGinnis and Renus VK after your podium celebrations, you're welcome that we didn't yell out shoe because we thought about it. <laughs> I don't think either one of them would have done that. It, you know, I will say this. Remember, they, they both were on the podium twice right. this weekend. You remember both the fathers screaming up, don't spray <laughs> the champagne after the first one because you yes. got to wear these race suits tomorrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no way to wash those rice suits at mid-Ohio. So um, on that note, I think that we will spray our own champagne and call this a show. And guess what? We'll be back next week. We will be. So if you're not sick of us yet, you get another week. <laughs> <laughs> we are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.